Church, this is week number one of a mini-series. McKinley, if you would just bump that up to full power for me. This is week number one of a full series called The Artisan Soul. Um, I uh, have many mentors in my life. One of them is the name uh, by the name of Erwin McManus, who wrote this book called The Artisan Soul. And uh, he was actually the guy, uh, ultimately... Um, when I was on the fence about church planting and church starting, whether or not I wanted to leave all of my security behind and forge out and be a pioneer, that was, for me, that was a tough decision. And Erwin uh, McManus and some of his literature that he has written is really what propelled me um, off of uh, just waiting around um, for the perfect circumstances to come along. And so I want to share with you this morning something that I've learned from him. Um, I, I want to, to just kind of pass it on to you so that it can uh, challenge you, maybe the way it challenged me. Um, we, have, uh, we, we look in Scripture and we see so many amazing lives. And in fact, it can be a little intimidating I look at some of those lives because for me, when I look at my life, I, I just, you know, when I look in the mirror, I, how many of you don't like to look in the mirror? We can tell who likes and does not like to based upon maybe how many selfies you have. I don't like to personally. When I look in the mirror, I just see a lot of things I don't like. And I see, and I just it's just like, I just don't like, I don't like it. And now I may need to talk to a psychiatrist or a counselor about that. Maybe I should, maybe I will. But I don't, I just see deficiencies, I see problems, I see uh, things that I don't like about myself. I just, and then I look around me at all the people around me, not all of them, but a lot of the people around me, and I think to myself, well, why can't I be like them? I mean, I mean, why can't I be placed in a life situation like them? Or why can't I... Um, have attributes that they have in their life and their and characteristics that they have. Why can't I have that? Why can't I do things the way that they do things? When I look in the mirror, I see nothing but imperfections and flaws and things that I don't like. Maybe you can relate to that. I'm not sure. Everything it seems to me, you know, it's I, I just everything I do, I just seem to say, oh, I mean, at best, it's okay. I mean, it'll get by, it'll do, and I look at things that other people do, and, and I say to myself, oh, that's amazing. Why can't I do it like they can do it? I see in everything else around me the things that I want to see for me or represented in my life or characteristics that I want to have. And when I look at Scripture... It's easy to see some of the same things, you know. It's easy to see some very, very amazing lives. We have amazing, talented, uh, spectacular people in the Old Testament as we look around. I mean, we look at the lives of names that maybe you've heard. If you're new and checking out church or if you're new to the church thing, you may not recognize some of these names, but you will hear them. If you hang around us for long, you will hear stories and biographies of these people's lives. We hear names like Abraham, and, and we think about the things that he went through as God was choosing him to begin this entire nation. We see names like Isaac, his son, and we see names like Jacob, 
his son. And then Joseph, his son. Maybe you remember some of those names. Maybe you've heard of them. Joseph and the guy who had the coat of many colors. We see so many amazing stories. And then we hear stories of kind of like guys who rallied the entire nation of Israel to do some really cool things. Names like Gideon. And I think to myself then about the New Testament names. All the the people who were the first disciples of Jesus. The first followers of his that were closest to him. I think of their amazing lives. Then I think of this guy named Paul who wrote more than half of the New Testament. And I say, amazing. Amazing. Now, if we were to be honest with ourselves, though, as we look at them, it can be very intimidating because they are amazing. They do seem like superstars. But if we were to step back and then look into the beginning of their lives and the beginning of their journeys what we find is we would not be saying amazing we would be saying whoa I don't want to be like them (laughs) no way I don't want to be like them but somehow God has taken someone who we would say I don't want to be like them and then he has created something amazing We're going to look at one such person this morning as we use that as a springboard into our discussion. You'll hear where we're going, but we're we're hearing this story from a man in the New Testament, but he's telling us about someone from the Old Testament. And I just mentioned to you the name Joseph. Joseph is responsible really for bringing this entire, starting this nation of Israel inside of another nation called Egypt. And here's how this story kind of plays out from a guy telling us, he's in the New Testament times, telling about Moses in the Old Testament. It's in Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 17. Listen to this. As the time drew near, this is Stephen talking, and Stephen was, again, one of these guys who say, amazing, amazing. And he's telling this story right before the people he's telling this story to, they stone him to death. And Please do not misunderstand this. Stoning was a horribly violent and atrocious death. And this is some of the stuff that he's telling them before that happened. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. He said, as the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. That's one of those names I just mentioned. The number of our people, that's the Israelites, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. There's another one of those names I just mentioned. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies. So here's what happened. This king ordered, he was afraid that the nation was growing too big and strong, so he ordered that all of these newborn babies, these boy babies, be killed, abandoned murdered he's ordered a genocide it's pretty interesting he he, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die verse 20 at that time Moses was born a beautiful child in God's eyes God saw this child and he was like 
beautiful, beautiful child. I love how the NIV states this phrase. The NIV says this. At this time, Moses was born, and then it says, he was no ordinary child. Moses was no ordinary child. His parents cared for him at home for three months. In other words, they kept him hidden as long as they could. When they had, verse 21, when they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own. Verse 22, Moses was taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in both speech and action. Verse 23, one day when Moses was 40 years old, 40 years he was raised in this environment. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and he avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize God has sent him to rescue them. But they didn't. The next day, he visited them again, and he saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me just like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There, his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in a flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. and He went to take a closer look, and the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. Now, for many of us, that's a familiar story. We, we, every time Easter season rolls around that time of year, usually one of the TV stations will play the Ten Commandments. You know, it's a story that we're kind of familiar with. We know how Moses' life went. We know how it turned out. We know the rest of the story. You know, we know how it goes. But often we overlook an aspect of the life of Moses. We overlook his background, and I want us to take a moment to focus on his background because he had a life that should not have amounted to anything. Just think about this. If you're 15 years old and someone tells you, you have so much potential, they're giving you a compliment. They're, they're saying something, you have great things ahead of you. If you're 20 years old and someone says to you, you have so much potential, it's a compliment. They're saying great things ahead of you. But if you're 30 and they say you have so much potential, what they're saying is what's going on? Something's wrong. What's taking so long? Why are you so slow? If you're 40, 45, or 50 and they're saying you have so much potential, what they're really saying is, wow. You blew it. 
you had so much potential. Here we have Moses. Moses was born at a terrible moment in history. A genocide was taking place. Babies being murdered, abandoned, left to die, forced to leave their children and abandon them. Imagine being the only boy child left from that generation. Moses was. Imagine you being the only child left the only male child, all the others have been killed. Imagine a little bit earlier for you, maybe the safest thing for your parents to do to hopefully give you a chance to survive was to abandon you in a basket. That doesn't sound like a good start to life. Left alone as a three-month infant in a basket. And to make things worse, they put you in the basket and they put you in a river, a mighty river, just hoping that the crocodiles do not eat you or that the hippos don't crush you. That doesn't sound like a good start to life. Imagine you do get rescued, though. That's good. By the daughter of the very man who wants to kill you. That's not so good. Raised in that home. Raised. In the home of the very one who called for the genocide that killed every other child. As you walk around and as you play, as you just try to be a child, everyone who sees you instantly is reminded of the massacre. Your very life and existence reminds them that God allowed a massacre. He did not rescue the slaughter of this generation. He did not show up. That's not a very encouraging start to life. For me, by the time I was 14 years old, I was already tired of living. I was emotionally exhausted, even at the age for me of 14. I was tired of disappointing my father. I was tired of disappointing others. Most of all, I was tired of disappointing myself. I had given up, and I was only 14 home alone one day in the middle of the day I began to plan my exit from this ordinary life ordinary disappointing life but just a few months later I would find myself at an ordinary church camp in Siloam Springs doing ordinary church campy things but there in the ordinary, God did something extraordinary. He did something extraordinary. He took me and he forgave me. And I surrendered my life to his care. And he gladly took me. Because centuries before, 
He died on the cross for me. Now, even at just the age of 14 and even beyond, I, I would have pain and brokenness and, and, and problems to overcome if I were to become the man that he was going to create me to become. But the same is probably true for you, that you have had pain and brokenness, a background possibly to overcome if you were to become what God has planned for you. Now we go back to Moses at age 40. And someone would look at him and say, Moses, you had such great potential. Moses had killed the Egyptian who was tormenting some Hebrews. They were his relatives. But that was not God's plan. That was not part of God's plan. Moses thought, well, maybe I can help. I'm a leader in Egypt, and I can make a difference if I do this, if I do something. But at this point in his life, Moses, his life compass was broken. It was not pointing to true north. And he was making a decision really in his way, ultimately really for himself. Moses, he just couldn't see it. The next day, Moses is back, and he breaks up a fight. And they out Moses for who he really is. And in this moment, Moses was a violent, emotional murderer. And in that moment, when he was confronted with that, Moses chooses to run. To run away from this, to run away from God, from from what God wanted him to become, and Moses ran for 40 years. But even though he ran, Scripture tells us Moses was no ordinary child. Every day, here, babies are born. In this region, in this state, every day babies are born. Now, I'll be honest with you, they're pretty hideous. Swollen face, they have puffy eyes, kind of a misshapen head. When babies are born, they're, they're maroon. That's not a color for a human. Sometimes they're blue. It's just, it's not pretty. I, I know this, I have four. I know this. Now the ladies right now are thinking, you monster. My babies were perfect. <laughs> and mothers do. Mothers think that newborns are beautiful. They do. But dads, dads know. They look a mess. I mean, we look at it, we're like, what was, what was God thinking? In all the rest of this world, it seems like other animals, they're born so beautiful. I, I mean, I'm not a cat guy, but you look at kittens, ah, they're so, they're so cute and fluffy. And puppies, they're just, they're adorable. You just want to squeeze them. Even tigers that could kill me as a little tigerette, they're so adorable. I mean, a bee, have you seen a baby beaver? 
Even hedgehogs. I mean, they're just so prickly and cute as a baby. Horses and calves. Precious humans? Ah, not so much. I mean, it can't get its own food. It, it can't clean itself. I mean, that would be a help if at least you could do that, but it can't, and it cries, and it whines, and it fusses, but not forever, just, just until about age 28. <laughs> but God looks and says, there is no ordinary child. She's beautiful. He, he's beautiful to God. And here's Moses. God said, this is no ordinary child. You see, these Hebrew people around Moses, they had no idea what was to come. They had no idea that the parting of the Red Sea was coming. They had no idea that the Ten Commandments thing was coming. They had no idea of the future. But here Stephen now is looking back and he says and he knows this was no ordinary child rewriting the story, the life of Moses. How many of you would say, man, I, I'm creative, I'm artistic, I am a downright genius. Think about it. Do you, do you realize that around the age of two, you learned the English language? One of the most difficult languages to learn, you learned it at the age of two. And it doesn't matter where you would have been born in the world, at the age of two, you would have begun to master that language and then your parents at the age of three could have moved you to another country and there you would have now mastered that language two languages mastered by the age of three and they could have moved you again to another country guess what you would have done you would master a third language all by the age of four. You don't realize this, but you were a linguistic genius. You are no ordinary child. God has naturally, by His choice, made you creative. But studies tell us that by the age of 12, only 5% of children are still creative because somehow we have figured a way to standardize the creativity out of them and to turn them into ordinary. But the same thing happens to us spiritually. The very same thing. 
we have a tendency to think, well, ah, someone else is made for that stuff. That, I mean, that's why we have pastors. I can't do that. I can't impact the people around me. I, I can't do that. And, and we find ourselves then standardized as ordinary. But if you don't learn to allow God to expand and to grow your life, your your faith, your trust, by stepping outside of that comfort zone, stepping outside of the ordinary, and begin to broaden your experience with Him and the lives around you, then you will find yourself becoming rigid and brittle and crusty, and you will crumble into the ordinary. But you were born to be extraordinary, extraordinary, beautiful to God. But most of us die painfully ordinary. Most Christians die. They, they leave this life and leave behind astounding ordinary. But you, you are not ordinary. God has placed within you extraordinary. He said, you, you are no ordinary child. You're not like the rest of God's creation. I mean, you have the ability to take a thought, to think a thought, to dream a dream, to imagine something in your mind, and then turn that into a reality. I mean, I mean, there's no deer out there right now in the woods or the edge of the woods thinking this. There's no deer out there saying, I just really... I." I want to be a rice farmer. I just want to break out of my ordinary and I want to grow rice and I want to feed the world. I'm tired of being timid. I'm tired of being skittish. I'm tired of running into trucks. I want to run into the open field and grow rice. They, they don't. I, there's no duck that's out there saying... I, Fellas, I'm tired of being hunted. Stay away from Stuttgart. I mean, let's, let's get together and go after those silly people dressing like trees and rice. And let's go get them. The beaver doesn't look up to the sky and say, Ah, oh, I just, I want to fly. I really want to fly. No, no, he's... He's building a dam. And tomorrow, it's, he's building another dam. That's all he does is build dams. But humans, you, you can imagine what doesn't exist, and then you can go and create that. You were born no ordinary child. You are a reflection of your creator. He's creative. 
He creates. You see, ordinary people are denying their very soul that God has placed within them because He created them, you, to create. But we look at a Thomas Kincaid painting or a Norman Rockwell and we say, I'm not like them. I can't do that. And we deny the very creativity that exists within us instead of being inspired by it. But the truth is this. Listen to this truth. Do not miss this. What we're talking about today is beyond art. It's beyond music. It's beyond sculpture. It is beyond painting. You are no ordinary child. Don't miss You are God's instrument to create. To create the future. The future that only He imagines right now. And it is time for you, for me, for us to stop accepting that we are less than And start knowing we are more. It is time for us to unleash God-given human creativity. But you ask, Harley, how can I be creative when my life has been so difficult, when life has been hard on me, when life has beat me down. And I say this, God loves working with people who look under-talented, with people who are overlooked, with people who are underrated, just like Moses The truth is, there has never been an ordinary child. And when you were born, you were no ordinary child. Stuttgart Harvest Church is asking you to join us in seeing the extraordinary, the extraordinary, ordinary lives changed forever and it's starting with your life being changed forever and then you helping us you helping us see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives forever changed will you will you join us in loving these people that are around you where you live and where you work and where you shop, will you join us? Will you meet them in the parking lot? And will you walk them into this movie theater where we meet as Stuttgart Harvest Church? And will you make room for them in here to meet Jesus? As together we escort them to the foot of the cross.
where they can meet the very one who is in the process of changing our lives as well. Will you join us? You are no ordinary child. Let's stop being ordinary. We're asking you, will you dream with us? Will you think and imagine what can be if we allow God to do something through us? Will you take the risk? Will you help us create not just anything? Will you help us create God's future that He sees here of hundreds and hundreds of people in this area meeting Him forever? It seems like we keep coming back to this scripture this summer. We're back to it again. We can't get away from it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Listen to what this says. For we are God's masterpiece. You know why we're his masterpiece? Because God is a creative genius. And he has created you in the same way and is doing it. And you, you are his masterpiece. It says he has created us new in Christ Jesus. And here's why. Not just so that we can be new. Not just so that we can say, thank you for making me new. Thank you for saving me. No. So we can do the good things. So we can participate in what he is thinking and imagining. And we can see that happen. The good things he planned for us long ago. You, my friend, are no ordinary child. Here's how we're asking you to begin. Would you just simply start this morning? I know it's dark and it's going to stay dark, but I want you to look. You won't have to look too far. Look in front of you or beside you. There's a chair that's empty somewhere near you. Just glance at that chair. We're asking you to join us this summer. Will you see that seat filled with a soul who is searching? Will you join us in seeing lives changed around you? Will you see from your life, from people in your life that you care for, that you love, will you see them in that chair? It's going to happen if we begin to create what our Creator is imagining. His lives that He has created changed forever. Will you join us? Will you love those people around you? It, it, it will take time. It will take consistency. But love will tear down barriers and walls that have taken years to build. Love and kindness and gentleness will see those walls come down over time. Love 
brings down walls. And then you can walk them through the parking lot and into that seat right beside you where together we will walk them to the foot of the cross and they can meet Jesus the very one who is changing our lives and who will change their life forever just imagine who will be sitting in that seat beside you but before you do that perhaps some of you for the very first time you've been checking out this God thing and you've been investigating you've been coming to Stuttgart Harvest just wondering is this for real is am you've just been wondering am I going am I going to jump in am I going to commit before we can have the impact that God wants us to have he has to first begin that in your life and maybe this morning you feel drawn to God. And I promise you, that is not me. I do not have the ability, the skill, the talent, the words to draw you to God. If you are feeling drawn right now, that is God's Spirit drawing you, pulling you. And if this morning for the first time you say, I'm... I'm ready. I'm ready to give God this life. I, I'm ready. I, I don't have all of my questions answered. I don't have this all figured out. But I am ready to give him this. Here's how you do that. The first thing is we have to admit that we can't do it. We can't do this life on our own. We have tried. We have failed. We keep failing. I can't live this life on my own. Doing it my way. Doing the, just the best that I can. I can't do it because all of my efforts have still led to me doing it wrong. And that can all be summarized by one word. And that word is sin. That's what my life has led up to. And you say, I admit that. I can't do it. And the second thing is this, that you believe that Jesus really did die on the cross for you. You believe that he died for you and three days later he rose again. Do you believe that? I believe that. If you can admit to him that you can't do it, that you failed. If you can believe that he really did die for you and three days later he rose again then you just simply need to tell him in your heart. You don't have to stand up and shout it to me. You can, if you're in your heart, he's listening to you, talking to you. He's the one drawing you. If that is you right now, that's what's happening. And you just simply confess to him right now in your heart. You say, God, I do admit that I need you. I, I can't do it. I have failed. I believe that you died for me. Three days later, you rose again, and I'm confessing to you now. I need you, and I'm giving you this life. You purchased it on the cross. It's yours. It belongs to you now. And you know what happens after that? 
It's not so that we can see how the church can serve us or meet our needs or what the church can do for us. You know what it means now? It's now you are here so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And it leads us to love and to serve. Ultimately, the word, it leads us to give. And we start by giving him our lives and it continues by learning how to give, how to give love, how to love the people around you. We're compelled to do that. And right now, if you just did what I was saying, if you admitted to God that you can't do it, if you believe he really did die for you and three days later he rose again, if you tell him, God, you can have this life, then he takes it just like he took mine. And he loves it. And he loves you. Because you are no ordinary child. Will you join us? Will you join us? In seeing lives all around us changed. Will you escort people in your life that you are loving and learning to love? Will you escort them to the foot of the cross where they can meet Jesus? And now, as we close this teaching time, and as we move into a time where we sing and love and adore God, we want to start by celebrating lives of people that are no ordinary children. God has placed within them the extraordinary. Let's celebrate that together by watching this. <laughs> 